This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is John Kinzer, CFO of HubSpot. You are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 346. When you combine the finance data with data from other sources, be it your customer support data, you combine it from your uh, with your Salesforce, your CRM data, or even just your billing system data, which sometimes doesn't connect with your GL data in the most useful way, you can get so much more insight into what's going on. My favorite place to poke around is in Salesforce these days, actually. And you can really, if you're in there and understand what your, your marketing uh, sales funnel looks like, what the different milestones are, what the conversion rates are, what it costs at every point, you can predict fairly early what a cost of acquisition is going to be or what your revenue is going to be and what your, ultimately your cash flow is going to look like well ahead of where you would be otherwise. And that's so much more rewarding. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Daryl Cox, CFO of software developer Vena Solutions. Daryl has data on his mind, not three days a week or five, but 24-7. Data, how to access it and how to put it to work more quickly are two areas Daryl has spent a good deal of time thinking about. We speak to Daryl about data and why it points to the future of finance leadership after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Daryl Cox, CFO of Vena Solutions. Daryl, welcome. Hey, Jack. How are you? We're doing well. And as you might know, uh, we always like to begin, Daryl, by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves and how they uh, prepared for a CFO role. What would you uh, share with us? It's a long story. I mean, I guess I've been preparing from the beginning. Uh, one of the formative events in my life was I ran my own business at one point for uh, six years. And I think that's kind of what kicked me off to, uh, to a career as a, call it a more entrepreneurial CFO. I also spent four years at uh, Arthur Anderson, which is, uh, for better or for worse, known as a very entrepreneurial firm. Um, and I guess the the last, the most, the most important feature, though, was the various uh, key entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial organizations, their leaders, and including the, the CFOs that I had as mentors uh, across that time, 
um, all of them excellent communicators and uh, sales, salesmen of sorts. And I think that uh, um, one of the things that defines me as, uh, as a CFO is being able to tell a good story, and all of these people were excellent, excellent storytellers. Interestingly, one, one of your tours of duty was at uh, Virgin Mobile uh, Canada, where you oversaw uh, financial planning and analysis and corporate uh, development. You were director of corporate development. Some of the experience you may have uh, gleaned there. Virgin was a great example of the kind of place I really like, really enjoyed working, and the, the t- it reflects exactly the type of workplace I try to emulate everywhere I go now, even in the finance team. And, uh, you know, what was great about Virgin, it was absolutely honest. I mean, I mean, I met, uh, had the great opportunity to meet uh, Richard Branson a couple times, three times, call it. And uh, it's an absolutely honest culture. It stems from him and goes all the way down. And uh, it's reflected in their performance and their attitude and the fun you have while you're at work. And if you're going to be spending that much time in the office, you better be having a good time. <laughs> If you wanted to uh, come to the intersection of finance and entrepreneurs, I know you were VP of finance at FreshBooks, which, of course, is what uh, very often is a piece of technology some uh, some early-stage companies often adopt. Am I right about that? Yes. Um, FreshBooks is especially well-designed for the very small companies, um, so one to five to ten employees. And it's so simple and easy to use. It's a great, it's a great place to start. Uh, so I would... Am I allowed to plug a product here? <laughs> if you're that kind of business, I, I look at books very closely. I want to point out that uh, I would describe you as a business, uh, you have a business development background. While you have audit experience from Arthur Anderson, I do think you have sort of a business development background or resume. Would you agree? No, I think that's uh, very accurate. And part of what defines me as a CFO is I like to, uh, be a top-line focus CFO. Uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, digging around in the data, trying to find the most efficient and effective ways to grow, rather than being the finance guy that says no to every little expense. It's about, and it's it's a common theme through all my roles. I'm always the guy that's, you know, not satisfied with just the answer you get from the GL and you know the finance information that's at your fingertips. I want to like stretch that out all the time. I want to get into the Salesforce data, the billing system data combine it all together and get some more interesting story, like really dig into the KPIs. Every place I've ever been, that's not only been like, it's been, you know, it's been absolutely effective and demanded, and I think uh, well-respected that, you know, the finance department was able to do that kind of thing. So then you arrive at Vena in, in, in the, the current role as CFO. What was the kind of job that you wanted to create for yourself here? Venom is, is like the culmination of my career to date. I mean, really what I want to do is, is I, I, want, I want to help shape, you know, what the company is today. I want to help write the story for where we want, where I, we feel as a leadership team we want the company to be in the future. And I want to take all that experience and learning that I've developed over time. And it's, it's you know, it wasn't intentional, but if you look at my career and on my LinkedIn page there, you can see that it's, I've almost, well, unintentionally developed a specialty in high growth, you know, early stage or startup organizations. Call even within my time at the, the various phone companies, it's always been in, the, in a group that's working on a startup or a new product or, or a startup telco for that matter. But at Vena, it's really all of that. And so what I hope to do here is apply all of that to its fullest extent to achieve maximum results. 
And did you, I mean, what was your first order of business arriving there? Were there certain appointments you had to make, or did you uh, have to evaluate the, the, the business model in some respect? It's very familiar business model to me. Uh, very comfortable with that. Uh, but, you know, I did probably what most CFOs would do in that position. I developed my 90-day plan, and I sought to, you know, really kill it. Um, so when I showed up, the finance team was doing its business. It was uh, closing the GL and, you know, filing financial statements and binders. Um, but what it wasn't doing is really telling the story. So my immediate task at hand was to start to harness the, the financial data, turn it into management information, and stitch that together again with the various other sources of data to turn it into real business KPIs, basic SaaS KPIs for Vanity to start, and then moving on from there. So before we go any further, let's find out something about Vena and what exactly are you helping customers with. So we are a uh, platform that allows uh, collaboration, integration of various sources of data and collaboration to we sell primarily to the Office of Finance. And the main use cases are budgeting, planning, reporting, month-end close. Uh, but what differentiates us, I mean, there's other players in the space, but what really differentiates us is our is our philosophy of flexibility and ease of use. We're kind of like the Apple is to, you know, in the commercial where it's like for the cool, hip, easy, fun to use kind of. <laughs> the other guys are like the other guys. And uh, we, um, what that means is quicker time to value, lower training, all that kind of stuff. But the real cherry on top to the differentiation is the fact that our philosophy of being easy and flexible has, you know, all is imbued throughout the product, but ultimately led to our, our decision to uh, use Excel as a grid on top. And, uh, I mean, what that's really like is, I mean, if you're in the other products, you're forced to use some other foreign kind of grid, but whereas we give you Excel, the equivalent is like trying to drive your car backwards to work using those other products. Like, why would you do that? And you're going to have an accident. So it's, it's much more comfortable in Vena. It's much more flexible. And what that allows you to do is, further go deeper into the budgeting and reporting cycles, and people require less training. And, and the real-life example is, for example, uh, revenues. A lot of times, revenue is your number one budget line item, but it's the hardest thing to do. And in, in most other solutions, you're forced to do that revenue uh, budget in Excel anyway, and then upload it to your solution, whereas in Vena, you do it right in Vena. So it, it's that much better. And so then there's a long tail of applications and budgeting and reporting and all sorts of business applications. So we really fit all the use cases really well due to our flexibility. Okay, and again, let me understand. That, that flexibility is the fact that Excel uh, spreadsheets can be used as a layer? Yep, well, good question. It's easy to use throughout, but that is the ultimate manifestation of that, yes. So where the normal finance person is already pretty much an expert in Excel, so you don't have to, you know, get an army of consultants and give up your biggest boardroom for six months to make a change. You can do it yourself. You're comfortable. You don't, you know, so implementations are more successful. You acquire less training. Uh, learning time is, is, is quicker, so you have quicker time to value. Um, it's, it's just the benefits are all over the place. And ultimately, you can do more complicated models. And you can iterate, and you can goof around and roll up your sleeves. Uh, with the other systems, you're really at the mercy of your IT department or, uh, you know, these consultants that come up and set it up for you. Now, I would imagine, um, again, at your traditional 
SaaS metrics or what you pay attention to, as well as uh, cash, uh, given the fact that this is still a rather young company, what would you uh, uh, what would you tell me in terms of your favorite metrics and what you're paying close attention to? Uh, you're bang on the money, uh, no pun intended. Yes, cash, uh, but also <laughs> the leading indicators of that and, and indicators of our performance and potential valuation potentials. So that would be cost of acquisition, um, you know, revenue growth, churn, all the uh, basic SaaS metrics. This is a question I have uh, asked other uh, CFOs like yourself who've come up the business development path, and maybe uh, maybe it's unfair, but did you always think of yourself as becoming a CFO? Or, or I, I would imagine that there are other opportunities that also would have attracted your interest. Again, you're right. I mean, uh, when I first set out uh, find my career path early on, accounting wasn't even, you know, high up on my list. I kind of wound up there um, opportunistically. And it's, you know, after that, it's been who I know. And the one job, you know, one or two times I may have moved because of a recruiter, but most of the times I moved because of somebody I know. Um, like when I went to FreshBooks, it was somebody I knew from my time at Rogers that tried to recruit me, but they were at FreshBooks who were a recruiter. And again, at Vena, most recently, it was uh, somebody I knew who was on the board who uh, recruited me to join Vena. And every single time, it always seems to be an opportunity I can't refuse. I was going to have to say, though, I really do enjoy my job. I mean, it's maybe it was uh, by chance uh, in large part, but I do really, really enjoy my job. We speak with CFOs uh, from around the globe in different geographies. You're based in Toronto. You know, Toronto has become quite a uh, hot market for technologies. What would you tell us about that region? It's growing and it's exciting. It's, uh, there are, um, as you said, uh, a, a, a quickly growing tech community here um, has to do with uh, a large part to the university is a great pool of talent. Also, some very successful successful companies in the nearby area that have thrown off um, a lot of money into the space, uh, and it's a fun place to live. It's it's relatively inexpensive compared to the other tech hubs in North America, and it's very diverse. Um, you can you, you can be very comfortable living here. It doesn't really matter who you are, or what you believe in, and such. It's uh, if you look around our office at Benna, you'll very much see that reflected in, in our office in our staff. Yeah, are you in a particular part of the city, or what would you, how would you characterize where you guys are? Yeah, we're downtown west, which is where a lot of the uh, tech companies are located in Toronto. I mean, they're kind of dispersed all over the place, but if you um, you would compare this to kind of downtown San Francisco in terms of our office space is very much like that brick and beam, very sexy ping pong tables, you know. <laughs> is there uh, and, and just in regards to the university, you know, what what do you find interesting about sort of the ecosystem there between the universities, startups, and larger businesses? So, University of Toronto is definitely an awesome school for uh, for technology uh, grads. There's also the University of Waterloo, McMaster. There's uh, there's like several universities. University of Toronto uh, being the largest and closest to our proximity here. Um, one of the main advantages of, uh, of Canadian schools, I'd say, relative to others maybe in the States, is they're quite inexpensive, um, so a lot of people have access. And, uh, again, it has a, the diversity is really, really exciting, too. I mean, you have such an interesting uh, range of people that you can get from all over the world. Meanwhile, the, the market has to be 
highly competitive for the types of talent you're looking for. What would uh, what would you tell us about the, the marketplace for talent? You're right. The, the, the dev and engineer people are the hardest people to recruit, and we're facing uh, increasingly stiff competition from south of the border. You have uh, uh, companies like Google and the other large tech titans recruiting directly on campus, and uh, even setting up shop directly in town uh, so that people don't have to move. So it's getting it is pretty competitive. So I want to ask you our finance strategic moment question, where I sort of the aha moment that you've experienced along the way in your career, and I imagine you've had a, a number of them. But what would you share as far as a, a moment of strategic insight that you experienced as a finance leader? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I have to, so just to kind of frame it, my basic go-to number one finance strategy is to own the data. So I get the opportunity to see a lot of things moving around and a lot of things pop up in the data in, a, in some kind of story before anybody knows about it. My best, like one of my favorite examples is actually one of my phone company examples uh, where uh, you're, you're, I, you probably own a cell phone or bought one around Christmas time. There's all these deals, get the cell phone and so on and so forth. And then, you know, in January, no one wants those cell phones anymore. <laughs> it's like it's a big problem for those, those companies. Um, and some, a lot of times what happens is you've got phones sold out in one store, so you miss the opportunity, and you got you got phones lying all over the place in another location, another stranded opportunity. And so in combined, in the end, you got an inventory right off, and you don't have enough, uh, you, you, don't, you don't maximize your sales opportunity. What we were able to do at one of those uh, companies is we had already established a data, built a data mart to do uh, various financial analyses and to, you know, produce a management KPI reports. And, you know, we'd be walking the management team through this all the time. Go through one Christmas, have this huge inventory write-off, explore into the detail, find out exactly what I just described to you. The next Christmas is rolling around. This time we got prepared. So using the same database that we built for multi-basic finance and forecasting and budgeting planning purposes, we used, uh, with the, in conjunction with the sales team, uh, to collect data from the different points of retail sales. So various retail chains selling our phones would uh, input their data, or we'd collect it from them on PDF or fax even at that point in time, and <laughs> enter it ourselves. And we were able to carry our phones back and forth between stores on the back of this kind of knit-together process so that we could uh, minimize that inventory loss and uh, maximize sales. I'd say it was very effective. It was a practice we carried on again the, the next year. And is there a uh, – I, I love your expression when you say own your data. Uh, access it, analyze it, here's why it's strategic, share it. Absolutely. And when I mean the data, I mean all the data. <laughs> what I find oftentimes is in other situations, or like when I walked into Vena, the finance team is doing really well with their GL – and the immediate finance data, which is typical, uh, but they don't stretch. But when you combine the finance data with data from other sources, be it your customer support data, you combine it from your uh, with your Salesforce, your CRM data, or even just your billing system data, which sometimes doesn't connect with your GL data in the most useful way, you can get so much more insight into what's going on. My favorite place to poke around is in Salesforce these days, actually. <laughs> you can really 
if you're in there and understand what your, your marketing uh, sales funnel looks like, what the different milestones are, what the conversion rates are, what it costs at every point, you can predict fairly early what a cost of acquisition is going to be or what your revenue is going to be and what your, ultimately your cash flow is going to look like well ahead of where you would be otherwise. I mean, it's no good just to be looking at your, your you know, end-of-cycle KPIs like CAC, cost of acquisition, or churn. It's way more interesting to know, like, three or four months in advance if you're, if you're trending to a nasty CAC place. And uh, if you know that in time, maybe you can turn some dials and affect it beforehand and drive some action. And that's, honestly, the finance guy, it's so much more rewarding. You mentioned Salesforce. A number of our uh, CFO guests recently have talked to us about how they're, they're really leveraging Salesforce to get visibility into that data. It, it seems like Salesforce is, is one of those primary tools, but what would you tell us? Salesforce has definitely become more ubiquitous, but it's CRM systems generally. But even across the whole organization and in, in, in every place I've been, it's just the the amount of data is just piling up, right? And you have systems all over the place collecting data. The issue is, even with Salesforce and any CRM system, is you got it all piling up. Are you using it? And so, you know, you, you, you talk to your board, you talk to your, your CEO, you talk to your sales leads and your, and your uh, marketing people. What are they doing with that data? And this is one of the problems with all these different diverse data sources is they don't connect. You, you can't you, – and you have to connect it to tell the real story. And it's hard to get the data out of Salesforce to marry it up to data in, like, your, your call center. Or, or you might use it for both, but it's not going to be as good for both as best-case systems and for every use case. But you really do need to get all that data together and stitch it together and then get to the bottom of the story. And uh, it's not enough just to have the system and to, you know, to have the sales guys entering in, you know, their customer data. It's, it's about extracting it and using it. And unfortunately, Salesforce is not so good at letting you really explore your data. You've got to get it out of there. When you're talking to your peers today, the finance leaders perhaps at other early-stage technology companies, how do you know someone has their data house in order? Um, you know, here's what we're doing. Well, we're doing this. I mean, is that is that part of the back and forth today? Is it how firms are learning to use and leverage their data and access it and create new metrics with it? I mean, what, what would you tell me? Oh, you're, you're bang on the money. I belong to a couple of uh, networking groups for uh, CFOs. Um, one of them is a more diverse set of companies. One of them is specifically targeted at SaaS uh, growth stage companies, so we're all very like-minded. And uh, we talk a lot about what is the metrics we're collecting, and we'll share confidentially, like, what does you, what's your CAC look like? <laughs> it's like uh, we really do uh, share a lot of data, and it, it, it's it's – and it's, we're able to advance each other's causes by, by able to explore and understand what each other is doing. Um, but it's very much the thing to do is if you're not already setting up some kind of data mart or data warehouse or cross-relating all your sources of data, then, you know, you're, you're, you're probably not behind yet, but that's definitely where things are moving is uh, bringing all that data together into a central, central place and uh, really making the most of it. And, uh, I mean, we actually use Venna to do that at Venna, which is the most exciting thing. Venna is an excellent tool to do that with. Which uh, means you have a lot of uh, handy talent, people familiar with the software to help you uh, funnel that data or whatever, uh, I suppose. That's absolutely true. But one of the best, yeah, the best benefit of Venna, though, is that the finance department can do it themselves. Versus not having to involve uh, IT or, or whatever other parts of the organization uh, might be required. 
correct. With the salespeople, uh, well, again, Venna is a tool just – is really primarily for finance. Is that right, though? It's not primarily for finance. It's uh, We do target the Office of Finance because the use case there is uh, very clear and uh, the opportunity is quite large. But as an example, we have a product uh, that we – it's the same platform, just different use case. We call it Revenue Performance Management. And uh, where the Office of Finance is in, in very interested in being able to more accurately produce, uh, predict revenue and cash flow and CAC and various other KPIs, the marketing department will use that same set of data, the same the same data integrations in the same platform to cross-collaborate amongst their team to predict stuff like uh, Salesforce productivity, uh, you know, lead, the probability of a, a lead converting. The, if, and if they're trying to allocate resources most effectively between different campaigns at different costs and different conversion rates, they're able to use Vena to tell where is the most effective place to put the money to achieve their goals within their given uh, constrained resources. We were talking a little bit about uh, Toronto earlier, and we touched on talent. There is this set of questions for the talent economy um, when it comes to the organization's workforce. What are your priorities as a finance leader? With that question, I'm not just speaking specifically about finance team. Are you in some way influencing how Vena is building its workforce today? We want to get to that intersection of finance and talent. What would you tell us about Vena and uh, your leadership in terms of that question? No, that's an excellent question. So um, if I may, I'll answer it in basically three parts. I'll dispense with the finance part, part first, and that is, and it's a reflection of the rest of the organization. We hire a lot for fit. So there are a lot of talented, skilled, experienced people. Um, I mean, some roles are harder to fill than others, but the most difficult thing to fill, I find, oftentimes is the fit component. And again, I go back to an earlier comment I made. We've got to have fun at work. Uh, you work hard, and but you also got to enjoy being with the people you're working with and the culture and that whole, you know, all the things that swirl around that are so important. So, we'll, you know, if you've got three candidates in the funnel and you don't like the fit on either one of them, despite how they might be, we probably won't, we won't hire them. And that's reflected across the company and for a lot of the senior roles, and you'll see how, so the second part is how finance um, influences that. One way is through uh, being at the table when senior hires are, are being considered. Also in the construct of the organization structure, like how are, how are process, processes set up for scale? How are we intending to scale? Not wanting to, you know, uh, burden the company with too much process and controls up front, but achieving the right balance so that we are scaling as most efficiently as possible. And that's a big part of the of the culture and developing a culture of openness and transparency is having clear, uh, clearly articulated and defined objectives and measuring against them so everyone feels empowered and they know what they're supposed to be doing. So we also uh, provide a lot of value that way. And uh, ultimately in, you know, in the data we provide. So the third part is we provide that. We are a, a main contributor to that. And without being able to, you know, track the, the various processes by measurable objectives and set, set a plan for them or a budget specifically and track against that weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever be the case, I mean, that whole construct is not as effective as it could be otherwise. So we're an invaluable part of that, of the culture and uh, how you know, the organization sits and people behave within it. Okay, we're going to run to our mentoring round now where we get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor 
uh, future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Um, clearly, it's the data. There's <laughs> so much, so much more than there's ever been. Actually, great tools to get into it. I mean, that's that's relatively new. It is so exciting. I mean, I'm some of the in some other instances I could describe earlier, like uh, one other company I was at when I set up the first data mart. They had it took me literally a year to instrument the data properly to get the kind of insight I was looking for. And uh, you know, then it took like six months, and maybe another year even before I was able to repeat it regularly. Now it's so much quicker to be able to achieve that same kind of result, and there's just so much more data to pick from, and it makes the life of a finance guy like me in particular much more exciting because I can extend deeper into the organization, further understand more, and ultimately tell a better story. What is it that you wish someone had told you? at the start of your uh, CFO career when you first stepped into uh, Venice CFO office, perhaps. What is that piece of information you wish you had? <laughs> That's a tough one. You know, when I look back, I'm pretty happy with the advice I received. I was uh, always encouraged to overread, to be as creative as I could be, to get to the root of the story, you know, to tell it in a compelling way, um, and to be happy in what I was doing. You know, I was also sometimes encouraged to be more patient. I think I'm still working on that piece. Is there a personal habit uh, you believe uh, has contributed to your professional success? Um, it's drilling in. It's asking a lot of questions. I don't accept the status quo, and I don't accept superficial answers. i got to get into it. And it really defines how good a story I can tell and how um, – you know, you, and you can't get to the root of the business question from the GL data alone. You got to go in and understand a, a, kind of like a fulsome picture. Uh, and it's just, it's, I just go in as a habit. I just go in and ask a lot of questions. Is there a book you'd recommend uh, to aspiring finance leaders? Well, if you're in my office, I've got a stack of them. <laughs> it's a particular book on the corner of my desk. It's uh, Understanding Michael Porter by Joan Magretta. Have you ever heard of that book? I don't think we've ever had that as a recommendation before. We've had uh, you know, books written by Porter that were recommended. gives you the essence of Porter's insights in a quick and easy read. Up here at Canada, this thing called a Cold Notes. Once upon a time, I could <laughs> summarize all the Shakespeare plays. I use that quite a lot in school. Um, but basically, it... it it really just allows you to distill more quickly into the essence of a business what is driving it. And if you're going to be a successful finance person, never mind a business person generally, but finance person specifically, you need to tell what the story is. You need to focus on the most important stuff, and this book will really help you get to that point quicker. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We're about to ask Daryl for his 12-month finance leader priorities right after we hear from one of our favorite sponsors. Stay tuned.
You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Not changing from last year, so that's so I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty confident of what I need to achieve. It's it's basically I need to prepare better for scale. I need to help us drive efficient growth, and that means through effect the most, you know, telling the story, digging into the details so that we can achieve the most effective allocation of resources. Carol Cox, thank you for joining us on CFO Talk. Great, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at CFOThoughtLeader.com.